Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Kirby Anderson is a facilitator and coach with Intentional Churches. With over 40 years in leadership, Kirby loves to encourage leaders and equip them with tools and sustainable habits for personal growth. He's passionate about building strong families and churches. He has also conducted numerous time management and financial stewardship seminars and has coordinated national leadership conferences and numerous community and countrywide events. Kirby and his wife Gail live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they love to babysit their grandkids. Kirby also serves as the church's relational contact for intentional churches. On the show, he dives into overcoming tragedy at a young age, trying to take the next best step, making small, consistent decisions to see big results, managing your time, being intentional, and building a strong family. To find out more about Kirby, check out his website at kirbyanderson.com, and you can follow him across all social media platforms. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Kirby Anderson. Thanks so much for being here, Kirby. You're welcome, Bailey. It's a, it's a great pleasure. Yeah, well, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give our listeners some background on yourself and what life was like growing up for you. Man, I started off as a small town farm kid and not grew up on a, on a traditional farm. I grew up in a, a small town in southwest Iowa. And uh, my dad was the manager of a research farm. It was a large feedlot for a local feed company. And so I was a farm kid, but it wasn't the traditional kind of uh, uh, farming experience. A lot of animals. And uh, that, that really stuck with me over the years. But it was a good life. I grew up in a family of six. I was the oldest of four uh, kids. We uh, came from a Danish heritage, a strong Danish community there, hence the SEN in Anderson. And uh, we were, were church going folks. We were there. We grew up Lutheran and it was the good Danes. And uh, we were there just about every weekend. Just a wonderful childhood. I look back on it right now and I think about, man, the well-rounded education. Um, some of the things I wish I would have paid a lot more attention to uh, you know, we had a huge garden. We learned all these self-reliant skills. We had a root cellar. Mom canned everything. And uh, we were eating organic and didn't even know it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just lots of outdoor playtime. My brothers and I would play down at the river and build forts and canoe on the river and swim in the pond and uh, had access to lots of tools. So we learned how to fix things. And uh, it, was, it was just really a great childhood. Yeah. So growing up, obviously, within that type of environment, you spent a lot of time outside. I did a lot. Uh, mom wouldn't see us. You know, if it, we weren't in school, uh, she wouldn't see us except for when it was time to eat. And uh, we were just gone. We knew to, she never knew where we were. You, uh -huh. know? Uh, you know, there was no cell phones. There was no nothing, man. We were just gone for hours. Yeah, I think there's something good about about being able to have that experience. I mean, I think even just building forts and being out uh, in, in the river and in the fields and outside, you have a level of creativity and imagination that you can use, especially as a young person. And I think that's a, a pretty formative experience to be able to have that. 
it really is. And, and uh, some of my kids that are, that are parents are trying to recreate some of that as much as they can for the reasons you just mentioned, just to give some uh, independence, uh, new avenues of creativity, and uh, just to get them to think a little bit different. Yeah. And also to get some vitamin D for the skin. It's not too bad. Totally. So, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, um, you, know, you talked a little bit about being up on the farm. Did you do a lot with animals growing up, uh, being in, in that type of environment too? I did. Um, you know, worked on the farm and um, my dad had always wanted to be a veterinarian. And that's what I ended up uh, going to school for at first. I was heading towards that it was pre-veterinary medicine. I don't know if it was really something that I really desired to do or if I was just you know, thinking that this would be something my dad would be proud of, uh, but I did enjoy it. I loved animals, and uh, we always had had lots of animals around. Um, so, you know, whether it was at the farm or at home, my mom raised dachshunds and always had little puppies. We had tons of chickens, and uh, I was a shepherd. Um, that was uh, I raised I raised purebred uh, Suffolk sheep. Uh, as a kid, and that taught me a lot. So you can learn a lot from animals, and I have a great love for them. And uh, like I said, I was going to be a veterinarian, and of course, changed and headed off into the ministry. But uh, that's, yeah. that's another. Yeah. Well, uh, before we really dive into that, what are some things that you learned, like you mentioned, of working with animals in the sense being a shepherd? Because it it obviously has really curtailed into what you do today, really helping people. Um, what are some things that you learned? I, you know, I think that there's just something about compassion and just taking care of them. Sheep in particular, uh, sheep are extremely docile. Uh, they're kind of ignorant and kind of dumb. Uh, they're, they're wonderful creatures. They're very tender, uh, but they can get stuck behind a shed and, and uh, go in one way and don't know enough to back out. So, you know, you're, you're kind of just taking care of them. And I, I think um, being able to see through the whole life cycle was, was another thing. You're seeing them give birth, you're raising the young ones. Um, there's just so much to it. And of course, there's some times that you had to you know, see them die. Sometimes I had to put them down. And, and so there was just a lot of life that was wrapped up into that that I think so many of our kids don't, don't see today, and uh, particularly just from a life cycle standpoint. But I do think that there's something special about the compassion. My dad always taught us just little things that even like on Christmas, not that the animals would know any different, but they always got a little extra food. And, you know, it's just, it just thinking about those who aren't thinking about themselves hmm. and, uh, and just taking care of them, cleaning up after them. That's, uh, that's a lot what pastoring is, is uh, just cleaning up after people and just, help, and just helping them and helping them get through the, the, the dumb butt stuff and the sad stuff and, and just taking care of them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a great perspective uh, that you got to learn at an early age, but also something maybe you didn't realize you were learning at the time, but it definitely, I'm sure, has helped you within life as you've moved forward. So talk a little bit about going to college. How did you decided to go to college, you wanted to be a veterinarian, and then obviously you, you curtailed that into ministry. How did that all come about? Yeah, I did. So it was a little bit of a roundabout way. I headed off to Iowa State University, and I was fortunate to do it. But I honestly, Bailey, I never really thought all that far down the road. 
Um, I, I, I didn't really have this big life plan and whatever. And like I said, most of my friends that I was growing up with were either going to Iowa State or to University of Iowa. And uh, so, you know, I was probably the first grandchild to, to go uh, to college. And it was just kind of the next step. And part of it at the beginning was just messing around and goofing around. But I was involved in, in pre-veterinary uh, medicine. That was the major uh, that I had. And uh, um, it was interesting. Once I got there, though, uh, within about the first month, uh, I remember coming home. And uh, a lot of the guys that I'd gone to school with uh, had changed their majors once or twice, <laughs> even yeah. in four to six weeks. And I guess that's not necessarily wrong, but I came home and my dad was asking about how things were going. And I was telling him about that. And he just, he, he told me, I remember him saying this and I never took it as being controlling. I think it was just uh, uh, good advice. He just said, I don't want you to change your major without talking to me about it. And uh, that was that was important because uh, I, I told him after that, I said, well, dad, I've been thinking again about going into ministry. And uh, he immediately said, that's the one thing I'll never have any trouble with. And the reason that became so important, Bailey, is because two months later, he was killed in a, in a car accident. Hmm. And that was probably the most formative uh, experience of, of my life at that point. Everything changed. And, uh, and you can see it now, it still it impacted me in a great way. So I had his blessing. And uh, that was that was extremely important. Absolutely, yeah. He was, uh, you know, obviously saw that in you and and was encouraging that. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people when they get to college, and we've talked about this with plenty of people on the podcast, getting to college or getting out of high school and into the workforce, it's a totally different shift in the, your lifestyle. It's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And as you touched on, you had something very significant happen uh, at such a young age, right in college. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, just share that experience and, and how that impacted you, because I think a lot of people um, have to battle through adversity. And sometimes that's a challenging thing to battle through. And I know that was something that really, uh, I, I, I don't know how many people would be able to handle it in a, in a good way. And so I think that's important to talk about a little bit about your story. We call it in our family, we call it uh, the accident because it was kind of like the ADBC portion of our family's history. And it was a week before Christmas um, uh, while I was a freshman in college. And I just called home. I said, I'm looking forward to coming home tomorrow for Christmas break. And, and uh, mom and, and dad and my three uh, uh, siblings were just heading over uh, to Omaha to do shopping. Uh, finish up some Christmas shopping. We're saying, yeah, we're excited to have you home, of course, first son to go away to college and so on. And about two hours later, I get uh, a campus police uh, and show up at my dorm door and told me to call this number. And it was a hospital. And they just told me that there had been an accident and that I probably need to come home. And they didn't really tell me any details, probably smart of them to do so. Uh, but I got back there about 10 o'clock that night over to Council Bluffs and walked in and there was just tons of people from our small town, it was about an hour away. 
And uh, I'd pretty much figured it out by that point in time. They were about halfway over to Omaha, crossing a, a bridge on a river, narrow bridge. And there was a semi-truck driver coming the opposite way who had been drinking. He was only a mile from home and uh, crossed the line and hit him head on and killed him immediately and put all the rest of my family in, uh, in the hospital. My youngest brother laid in a, in a vegetative coma, severe brain damage for two and a half years before he fi finally died at the age of 16. Hmm. So it was massive. And in our small town, it was really, really a big deal. I think, you know, there was so much that happened there, but I know in those first few days, and I saw it for so much after, I think the, the biggest thing, Bailey, was that it, it caused me to have a shift in my dependence from my earthly dad to my heavenly father. And that was a good thing, but it also, uh, it, it, it impacted me in ways that I didn't know at the time, uh, emotional scars that I had to deal with many years later, even into my 40s, and even in the last few years, continuing to kind of deal with different layers of that, of anger, and uh, over, you know, controlling behavior, unresolved dad wounds, uh, mm -hmm. just basic trauma from that, and, you know, a responsibility that kind of went on steroids being the firstborn. Yeah. I quit school for the remainder of that year, came home, take care of, of my family. We had to move off of the research farm. And, and uh, so many of my family was still in the hospital for a long time. So it was a lot for an 18-year-old. And uh, life had been pretty good up until that point in time. And then all of a sudden, it just, uh, it just went completely sideways and everything blew up. So it was, it was a very formative experience. There's nothing else... Uh, that comes close to it, and it's not as bad as what a lot of people go through. But it was a, it was a, it was a real shakeup for for our family. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I can't imagine. You know, and people always talk about uh, things can change in an instant, and they really did right there. But talk oh, a little my. bit about your faith. I mean, was your faith always something that was important to you at a young age, um, or and so when you went through that, did you really rely strongly upon your faith and your dependence on God rather than? Uh, maybe other other sources. It was interesting to see God's hand on us at that time, because like I said, we grew up in the Lutheran church and we really didn't talk about, um, I knew my Bible stories forward and backwards. I loved, um, you know, Sunday school as a kid. I knew all of that, but we never were really taught about having a personal relationship with Jesus. You were baptized as a baby. We were confirmed, you know, when we were 12 years old. And um, outside of that, uh, there really wasn't much. But my mom and dad had a great experience about a year or two before this uh, through a retreat that came out of the, the Lutheran church. And it greatly impacted them. And I know that they both made a decision to, to personally follow Jesus at that time. And it and it shaped their lives. And as a result, it kind of downloaded into mine. And about six months before I went, uh, uh, before the accident, I went on a, a high school retreat and it was through the Catholic church. And uh, again, I don't know that they necessarily called for a personal salvation, but I know that at that weekend, that's what took place. And uh and so I was, yes, it was, 
it was starting to rise. Things were coming up. And again, that's why I told my dad, I'm thinking again. I'd had thoughts about going into ministry when I was in eighth grade. But at that point in time, all I thought about was, uh, all I knew is ministry was either be a missionary, which uh, scared me and didn't want to do that, or a pastor. And that also scared me because I didn't want to publicly speak <laughs> every week. And, and, uh, but there was something there that was brewing. And, and so again, I think the biggest thing was, was that dependence. Uh, certainly there was confusion at the time of how could, you know, something like this happen, but never really, never really spent much time going down that trail. It was more about just, uh, we were so grateful for so many good people in our lives who surrounded us even had a hospital chaplain that came alongside and always wondered what may have happened to him, but he was very, uh, very instrumental in those, uh, in those few weeks following the accident. So it certainly went to a different level. I'll tell you that much. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things you talked about is, is your faith and starting to have a desire to get into ministry. But a lot of times our, our faith is always tested in serious, serious trials. And that is a significant, significant trial that you had because not only going through that experience, but the aftermath of, of having a lot of leadership responsibility, a uh, pressure that's put on you at such a young age. I mean, you said you were 18. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So that's a lot of responsibility and pressure. Um, and, and not only that, but just having to deal with the, and that and the trauma. I mean, there's, there's definitely that there. And so, um, I think I really want to be able to tie that in later because I know you help people through those things currently um, and have as a pastor. So I think that's very significant. But what did it look like in the aftermath of that, going back to school, uh, going back into you know normal per se, and and kind of deciding to get into ministry? Yeah, I think after that, uh, I went back and I kind of had a bit of of this thing I was balancing out. Uh, shouldering the responsibility of, of helping my family through everything. And yet, in the midst of that, there was some darkness that crept in. And so when I had a chance, I would try to escape. And so, you know, there was, there was drinking, uh, smoking pot, you know, some of those, those things, and it was pretty normal, you know, at, at that stage of life and in, in my community. But it was, uh, I was, I was living kind of a double life and really looking back now, I didn't understand it at the time, but I was just, just hurt and uh, uh, trying to drown that out. So, uh, but fortunately, when I did go back to school, I went back and I got hooked up with kind of another group of uh, college students who were meeting at the Catholic church there uh, somebody from this retreat that I'd been on to as a high school had told me about it. And there was another retreat called Antioch. And so I got hooked up with, with them, went on this weekend retreat. It was really great for me. Um, I, I recommitted back to things. I got involved with them, became a group leader for other ones. And uh, about a year later, that's where I met my wife. Uh, she came for one of those weekend retreats and I was her group leader and uh, <laughs> that's 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 where we met so I think at that point in time there was kind of this this 
there was some ups and downs, a little bit of backsliding back and forth, trying to sort all of this out. But I remember there came a crossroads one day where I lived in a fraternity, which also kind of made it. I mean, it was just a party house, you know. And, and so I was kind of walking. I was involved at the church, but still kind of running around in the party life. And uh, man, it was just tremendous inner turmoil because of the struggle. I wasn't being true to who I really was and was sorting all of that out. And I remember one day that I I felt I, I wasn't real practiced at what I could feel like would say of hearing God's voice. But on that day, I, it was very clear. I knew that uh, it was a day to make a choice. And it wasn't really a threatening thing, but I just had this, this sense that whatever I choose today was going to determine uh, in a great way the path for the rest of my life. And uh, it scared me, uh, to be real honest, because I could kind of see without too much imagination, two different pathways. And I didn't know clearly what the one was, but I knew this other path probably wasn't going to be great. And so I made some decisions. I left the fraternity, moved out with a, with a buddy, and uh, worked on my relationship with my soon-to-be wife, and started disconnecting from the habits and the lifestyle that I'd been a part of. And, uh, and then we ended up um, hearing about uh, Bible school down here in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And so uh, after my wife graduated and I uh, never did graduate because I had quit early and, and started again, but I, I made the shift, uh, knew that I was gonna go into ministry but I was heading towards seminary and knew that that was not going to be the path anymore. And somebody told me about Rama Bible Training Center. And uh, so we determined after she graduated, we loaded up our very few belongings huh. in a little four by six trailer and moved down to Broken Arrow. And uh, I attended there one year, and, but I got involved in a great church here at that time and started helping out and ended up being there for 11 years. And so even though I got my diploma uh, at one place, I got my education in that great local church uh, and under a great pastor and ended up being the associate pastor there uh, for, for 11 years. Yeah, that's great. And there's a lot in your story right there, but you touched on kind of in some ways living uh, two different lives, one that you, you really wanted to live and maybe not living uh, necessarily it out on a daily basis, but you did talk about at the time you did have a relationship with God. Maybe it wasn't as strong as it is today, but it was growing, right? And you were listening and trying to discern God's voice in your life. And when you did feel like he was leading you in a direction, you had the conviction and courage and, and maybe discipline too, to make the step, to, to take the step and go in that direction. Obviously getting out of your fraternity and moving into a ministry, uh, learning more, going to going to Broken Arrow and, and getting a chance to take Bible classes and get involved in ministry was really important. But I think that there's a great point in that, in that listening and discerning God's voice, taking the step and having courage and conviction to go when you feel called and led. And you talked about getting into a, a church for 11 years as associate pastor. Now, what was that like in terms of just stepping into ministry full time and leadership and the things you deal with as a pastor on a daily basis? 
you know, God, God is so good to us. Uh, it, I look back and it's just been grace. Um, I've never really known very far in advance. Like I said earlier, didn't really know where I was really heading. I always just took the next step that seemed good to me. And I, I got to tell you, Bailey, I've said it so many times before that all of the best turning points in my life, when I look back on it and say, that was definitely God was in that and this great turning point, And this was awesome. All of those opportunities came to me. Not one of them came because I was smart enough and had this clear vision and strategically worked uh, towards that thing. I can't take credit for any of it. Okay. I, I, I've, I, and I also say that I've never really been qualified for any place where God took me. Okay. Uh, uh, my life has just been characterized with just grace and favor. I have said for 40 years, I don't know how I got here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't know how I've been a part of such great ministries and been a part of great people. I've just always, uh, where I felt like this is where God was taking me, I just followed favor, followed that grace, said yes, and just uh, in obedience, uh, did the best that I could and tried to learn. Um, so that's what happened when I said yes there. I started off as a janitor, a part-time janitor in the church. And then when the new pastor came in, uh, he wanted me to take over some, some other areas to oversee, like the ushers and the greeters and things like that. It's like, okay, let's get in here. Then he asked me to take over and become his church administrator. And I'm thinking, what? Church <laughs> administrator? I mean, this was a church that grew from about 1,200 to 3,200 in 18 months. And at that point in time, we had a budget of over a million dollars. Bailey, I have never had any business training in my life. The only business training, formal business training I've had was a year, uh, a semester of typing when I was a freshman in, in high school. That's it. <laughs> now, I've educated myself and I've found other smart people that I could learn from, but that's what I'm talking about. I, I look back and I see that how I've been, been able to be used and be a part of some really great things. And I'm thinking, God, this is, this is just you. And it was just his hand on me. And that's really been the ride for the last 40 years has just been uh, saying yes and taking steps and, and just doing, doing what you knew to do and giving it your best and uh, trusting God to make up the difference. Yes, I love that. And one of the things you just said is giving your best. I think a lot of people can hear maybe that story of your quick rise in terms of leadership within that church. But a lot of times people don't understand that it's those little things like you being a janitor every day and doing a great job being a janitor that enables you to have the next job. And people see that in you and they're like, you know what, if he's doing a great job there, he'll do a great job here. And then it's a progression. So I think that sometimes is important to point out that when you're doing whatever job you're doing, you're doing a great job, the best you can at it. And then because of that, people notice. And when they notice, then they might elevate you to other positions. I got a great story about that real quick, if I can interject. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. When, when uh, before we had moved from Iowa State down, down to Oklahoma, 
um, I quit school for the last six months because my heart wasn't in it. And I just wasn't learning anything there. And I, I read the Bible. I studied on my own, but I needed to go get a job. And so uh, for six weeks, I went to work the night shift at Target. So after they locked the doors at 10 o'clock until seven the next morning, I did janitorial work and I worked with another guy and uh, he kind of had an ego and, and boy, he was, he was king in that place at night. I hated this job. I hated it, but <laughs> it was what I needed to do. And I learned how to run this, uh, this uh, floor scrubber machine, you know, the kind that you walk behind. And so that's what I did for six weeks at night is just scrub these floors. And a lot of times he got to run it and I just mopped up behind him. But I learned how to run that thing. And I hated that job. And I always look back on it after that and thought, what in the heck is this? I'm called to ministry. Why am I doing this thing? I get down here and I go to work for this church and as a part-time janitor. And it was, a, it was a gymnasium. And then on the weekends, because he had a school, we would set up the chairs for weekend services set up about a thousand chairs. We had to mop this, this gym floor by, by hand. And one day I'm in the back closet, the chair closet, and behind some of the chairs that we weren't using, I noticed this old floor scrubbing machine. It was the exact same one that I had used uh, just a short time before. And I asked the guy that I was working with, I said, what is this thing? He says, nobody knows what this is. It's, it's some kind of a floor machine or something like that, but nobody around here knows how to use it. I said, I know how to use this. <laughs> Completely changed everything. And it's, it's such a small thing. And it's kind of a funny story, but it is exactly what you were saying. God never wastes anything. It was amazing. And even when I first started working down here, I worked at Sutherland Lumber Company and learned a lot of the different uh, materials and stuff. And a lot of that I brought into that my first phase there at the, at the church, I was fixing stuff. So it is amazing how that he will take those little things, experiences, abilities. And as you keep giving your best, that just stair steps to other opportunities. That doggone floor scrubber, I never want to run one another uh, <laughs> other day in my life, but God used it. And it was, it was a great lesson to me more than just knowing how to mop a, mop a floor faster. It was yeah. amazing. You were well, well prepared. Well prepared, man. And everybody else just very relieved because we didn't have to get the mop buckets out. Yeah. Darn thing well, by hand anymore. Well, you know, it's fun. We've, we've had one of your sons, Jared, on here because he's a home builder and developer, just like myself. And he talked about growing up and, and being on, on projects where you guys were fixing things and houses. And so you talked about uh, being in the lumber company and fixing things at the church. Yes. And so a little bit on the side, uh, do you, did you always love real estate too and, and fixing things up? And I didn't, I, but I've always been a learner and I love learning. I love learning just for the sake of it. And sometimes I don't even act on it. I just like to learn. And um, I had run across a course on real estate investing. It was kind of a huge one back in the day by Carlton Sheets, some, some people will remember that. He was on TV and one of the longest infomercials for a long time. It was about how to buy real estate, no money down. And I studied that thing for a couple of years. And, uh, and my brother had been successful at doing some things and I had helped a lot of other people do it, but I never did it myself. 
And then uh, finally, one day, my wife just said, are we going to do this or not? And I said, all right, let's do it. And so we started. And, and it was amazing how God blessed that. And it really ended up being a great thing for us because I did it on the side. Uh, after I left the large church here in Tulsa, I took over a, a very small church up in Wisconsin and was there for 19 years. And so it really was a great supplement to our income. And, uh, and I almost never took a day off. Uh, I was the mastermind behind it. Uh, my wife, Gail, is a great foreman and a great doer. And we had this built-in workforce and these kids running around <laughs> doing things and they loved it. We made it fun, but it's, uh, that's part of it that uh, I taught them everything that I was learning, uh, taught them the financial side. They all learned to change out outlets. We all learned how to tear things down. We all learned that before something gets better, it's probably going to have to get worse. Um, and, you know, how to learn to see uh, what other people can't see the value in something and uh, with a little tender loving care it can be something really great again so we homeschooled our five kids and so everything that we did was was school and every one of our kids since then you mentioned jared who's actually a professional now as a as a developer and a home builder uh done very well but all of our kids have uh bought and sold homes done fixer uppers built their own homes and uh, yeah, that was a great experience to give them a little bit of a taste of real estate. But I think it was more than just real estate. I really think the bigger lessons were sweat equity, learning how to see uh, past what uh, most other people can't see and to restore value to something that still has, has great value left in it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it before, you know, God uses everything. And obviously what you just talked about, those lessons, are things you do as a pastor and what you currently do today. So you touched on leaving that, that big church and going up to Wisconsin for 19 years on a smaller church. What was that experience like to go from a big church maybe to a smaller church and be a pastor in that environment? It was brutal in some respects. Uh, I remember, you know, I left the church, I had a staff of, of, of 70 and a congregation of about 3,200. Um, I was the executive pastor. And I went over and took over a church of about 40. Uh, and I remember the first day I showed up in this office and I was the only guy there. And I had this little Mac that was behind me here, uh, this little Mac SE. I've never had the heart to, to sell it. <laughs> it changed my life. And, and that's what I lived by. But I was answering my own phone. I'm doing the church bulletin. And I remember sitting in that little cubicle of an office that first day, and I just broke out laughing and just thought, what in the heck have I done? <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, uh, that, that did start. Um, it was a wonderful season for our family, but it was, it was also a bit of a wilderness for me in many respects. I had left something I was very uh, highly regarded and well respected here in the city. And uh, we had done a lot nationally. And I felt like I kind of went, not with no disrespect to the community they went to, because they were wonderful people. But um, it was kind of like I was just starting over again. And even though they could read my resume, they didn't know me. And so you pretty much had to just kind of start building trust and relationship and everything all over again. And 
you know, I came from a very high paced, let's go kind of thing where we could talk about it today. And with the staff that I had, we'd have it done by next week. And up there, it was like, whoa, 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 we got we to gotta slow down and we got to talk about this. So it was a huge culture change uh, for me. And in many respects, there were some, there were some dark years there. I, I didn't have like what so many young pastors have today, um, the network uh, and the collaboration and the support. Um, I, nobody really said it in the ministry circles that I grew up in, but basically, if you have tough times, you just hunker down, you pray more, you trust God, and just go. And I did all of that, but I don't think that that was God's best, and and I didn't have the the, the kind of the support, and it was just kind of blaze this trail on your own, and it wasn't good for me. Uh, for mental health and in other ways, I remained faithful and we had lots of good things to, to look for. But that also, Bailey, is something that really helps me today as I coach young pastors and just say, don't do it like this. Uh, and just the fact that I'm in their life or somebody else is, as a trusted outside voice makes all the difference in the world. And man, I wish I would have had that. Uh, but my consolation right now is I can I can come alongside them and give them what I didn't have and uh, to be able to speak with enough uh, authority and credibility that hopefully I'll save them some headache and heartache along the way. Yes, and absolutely. I think that's a great point because of the fact that you went through those things. You have the experience and the expertise and the insight to help alleviate that from the pastors that you work with. Oh, yeah. And talk a little bit about what you're in today. Um, you know, you you're, you write, you speak, you coach, you work with a lot of leaders. Uh, what does the daily um, schedule look like for you? And how do you go about helping leaders and individuals uh, develop an idea of, of purpose and time management, all the things that you are really passionate about? So about seven years ago, I decided to kind of start building my own online platform. It was something that after I stepped down from my last church team, um, that, that I wanted to do. And really what I'm passionate about, mostly Bailey, is even though I've always been a church guy, I think more than anything, I'm a family guy. And I think that that also had its roots from the accident is that um, I didn't grow up in my adult life with a dad. And so there were so many things that became uh, so precious to me. And uh, so, like I said, our family was always very close. And the thing that I think I'm most fortunate is, is I've been able to have a good career. By God's grace, I've been a part of some amazing ministries. I've worked in three great churches and, and worked with uh, just scores of extremely talented people and have friends all over the world. Um, but the, the great thing is, is that after it's all said and done, I didn't lose my family and I didn't lose my health. And I want that for others because there are still a few people who see me right now. And even though I'm not on a church team walking around Tulsa here, it happens every day. Uh, you know, Hey, pastor Kirby, and it's music to my ears, but you know, I'm not really in that 
that role, I've, uh, I'm still seen as that. But long after I'll, I'll be pastor, you know, I still hope that I'm going to be honey to, uh, to my wife of almost 44 years right now, uh, dad to my five kids and great daughters-in-law, papa to seven kids and hopefully a lot more grandkids <laughs> on the way. So those things are so much better. And that's what I love to do right now is come alongside young church leaders, particularly uh, and, and to help them to establish the habits right now, that if you'll just do these things, it'll not only just help you this week, but in 20, 30 years from now, you're going to land in a place where you really hope you're going to land. It doesn't have to be a hope so or an accident. Most of the things that we yearn for in life are the result of small decisions and small actions that happen just consistently, day in, day out, week after week. And as Gail and I began to survey our lives and the blessings that were in it and ask, you know, I mean, we, we were very humble about it. We realized that, you know, it's not because we were the smartest people on the face of the earth. We were fortunate to have good people speak into our lives, but, and to have God uh, continue to lead us and guide us. But we asked the question, because people continued to talk about the relational goal that we had in our family and, and some of the other things. And we said, is this transferable? Is this teachable? What were the things that if we could go back and speak to ourselves 40 years ago that we would say, make sure you don't stop doing these things because often we stumbled into them and didn't realize how big of a deal it was and it was going to be. And we boiled it down to a handful of things. And most of those things, Bailey, are things that, that you just do every day and every week, and they may not seem to be that big of a deal in any, in any one particular instance, but the, the gold that comes out of doing those things is incalculable. And I look back right now, and people just say, how, how come your kids like to hang out with each other? How come you all enjoy each other? How come you still enjoy... Uh, vacationing together and why are your kids texting you every day and why are they seeking out your advice which is absolutely awesome you know when they're all very capable and very smart uh, I can tell you it's all because of a few things it's because of consistent family nights that we had every single week for years it's because of special time that I would make sure and have with individual kids on a rotating basis. It was because we carved out time for, for vacations and made uh, holiday traditions special. Little things. I never took my kids to Disney. I didn't have the money. It didn't matter. We went camping and we've got journals filled with great memories. So it's not about money. It's not about the big things. It's about consistently doing small things that are gonna give you big results if you do them consistently over time. That's what I'm passionate about. And that's what I've been doing for seven years. And about five years ago, I got tired of working by myself. I'm a, I'm a people guy. I, did all, I do all of my best work in the context of a team. I missed the church. And so after blogging for about a year and a half and doing some things, 
I got hooked up with uh, an organization called Intentional Churches, and we provide st uh, strategic planning for churches and coaching and training for young church leaders. Well, that was a real godsend to me, and I love doing that. I still coach individually um, uh, Christian leaders on the side, and then I've also started working with uh, Cornerstone of Tulsa here in uh, a Christian counseling service and helping to build relationship with other churches so that we can provide mental, uh, mental health support to their congregations and staff. But all of that is still, it all comes back to, I wanna help young people who are building great careers, great ministries, and to do it effectively, but not lose their family and not lose their health. That's, that's what I, that's what I love to do. Yeah. You definitely have a passion for it. And you know, there's so much in what you just talked about, but the word, which is ironic that you talked about the group that you joined intentional churches and intentionality was the word I was thinking as you were oh, yeah. saying all those things, you know, with your spouse, with your family and your work, uh, helping leaders be better. It's, it always goes back to intentionality. And we were talking before, and, and you said the word focus, where's yes. your focus? And so what does it mean in your opinion? Because there's so many things and distractions that can come at us every single day within a matter of a minute, you can have some distraction come and keep you from what you're doing. But also, especially for young people trying to grow their careers, trying to maybe grow their family and their relationships, but typically sometimes we can get distracted by uh, ambition or ego into our work that sometimes can help us or keeps us from neglecting maybe our, our spouse or our kids, what are in your ways or in, in your eyes, what are some things that you can do to kind of keep your level of focus on your kids, on your faith, uh, your family and your, your spouse, as well as being intentional within your work, but not over, uh, over the top? You know, I think a lot of it comes down to it's, it's a lifelong pursuit and learning process, Bailey. First of all, it starts with self-awareness. And I think that we have to come into a greater understanding of our own God-given design and also our values. Uh, what are the things that are going to guide us that is going to serve as our true north? Because we have, we have so many choices and so many options and so many invitations that we have to have a way of sorting those things out. It can't just be a thing of, well, that sounds like fun, or because this is here today, maybe I should go doing that. As we continue to get older, there's going to be more of a, a sorting through, uh, a, a saying no to certain things so that we can say yes to better things. And that's a process that we continue to, to learn. And I think that that has been certainly the case with me as I've come to understand more of my own God-given design and, and what I'm good at, I wanna say yes more to those things. And even though there may be some other things that I could do that would add some value, how much time in the day do I have? And so the things that helped me to, to actually find that, that bit of balance uh, that I think that we all yearn for is is I had to have some, some guides in, in my life. And this is where it came down to, uh, to time. Because for me, time is the real currency of, of life. 
I started off uh, with a passion or a, a great pursuit of time management uh, when I was uh, a young pastor or actually just a young church leader back in those early days when, when I was made church administrator um, and I had two sons at that time, I, I, I studied time management just out of a need for survival, just to try and keep my head above water. And uh, it, it's the most valuable resource that we have. But I've spent 40 some years learning this. And the difference is, is back then I was just trying to figure out how to do more in less time. That's really what I was, it was about efficiency. And after a while I learned it, it really the bigger question is, is not how much am I going to do, but what am I going to do? That's a bigger deal. So it became more on, on effectiveness, doing the right things. And um, there were, there's four things that I pretty much share with those that I, that I coach right now that will help them to get a better handle on their, on their time so that they can use that to, to become the person that they were called to become and to build the family and the legacy that they want. And just real quickly, again, it's the, the first thing is just understand this, that you have all the time that you need today to do uh, what God wants you to do. So we often say, I don't have enough time. Yeah, you don't have enough time to do everything that you, that you can imagine or that people want you to do or that you think would be fun, but you do have enough time to do what God wants you to do. Uh, and so as we begin to sort that out, now we have to figure out, okay, what are those things? And that brings us to the next point, which was what I call big rocks. And you, you can see, if you have the visual, you can see this uh, glass jar with different colored rocks on my credenza back here. It reminds me that my day is filled with choices. And there are going to be some that I can choose and others that would choose for me and lots of opportunities today. But if I'm not intentional about how I calendar my day and make choices, that day is going to fill up with gravel and sand and lots of little things and I'll be extremely busy, but I may not have done the most important things. And so the reality is you got to put big rocks in the jar first and then let the other stuff filter in around it. So that leads to the third thing I teach people, you got to create a master weekly calendar. You only have 168 hours this week and a big portion of those are going to be sleep and, and maybe work and showering and getting dressed and making food and mowing the lawn and stuff like that. And bottom line, when you look at the average uh, American life today, you only have about three hours a day that are available for the things that we all say are truly important things. Well, by gosh, you better get those suckers in first. So if you don't put that in your weekly calendar and carve out times, that this stuff is sacred. And these aren't things I'm just doing. It's not like meetings or appointments. These are things that are gonna help me to become the person I wanna do, wanna be. If I wanna be a better husband, that means I've gotta carve out time with Gail. Okay, so a date night's going in there and some decompressed time on the couch to be able to talk at the end of the day or to walk and talk. 
those are the things that are going to matter because I can't build a relationship without communication and without time. So that's got to go in first. And then all the other opportunities have to take a second or third place somewhere along the way. That helps me to make decisions. And if, when somebody asks me to do something, and I can just simply say, man, I would love to, but I'm sorry I'm not able to. It's because I've said yes to the most important things. And that means I'm going to have to say no to some other things that may be fun. And then the last thing that I encourage people to do is learn to start your day with a very energizing morning routine. Uh, it just helps to set the tone for the day. It's about the only time of the day that you can really count on to have any control of. You know? and, and so, man, you better get as many big rock activities in those first few hours of the day as possible. Because you can say, well, I plan on getting this done. I'm going to read my Bible later on. Uh, we all know how that goes. Something <laughs> else is going to go sideways and your good intentions are out the, out the window. And then we're all at the end of the day and just saying, you know, how was today? Well, I don't know. I was busy, but I don't know if I really accomplished anything. And we're disappointed. We're unfulfilled. Those are the things that helped me and that help others to be able to make those choices. And if I've got family night blocked out tonight from five to seven o'clock uh, every, every Thursday night, I get other opportunities. Hey, you wanna go out and do this? Hey, you wanna come over to our house? Love to, can't tonight. We're gonna have to find another time. This is sacred time with my family. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what will make the difference. Yeah, that is fantastic advice and it, it's important to also understand like having the discipline to make sure it's applied. But talk a little bit about your morning routine. What does that look like for you? So my morning routine has, it's been one of those things that uh, has grown. And um, right now I have, have a pattern of what I do. And I drew a lot of this from a great book that was super helpful to me. And I recommend to others called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. <clears throat> I highly recommend it. It was great. It really helped me to kind of codify some of the things that I was doing um, that I had just learned along the way. But mostly it starts off in the morning with solitude. I had a, I had a guy that I was coaching one time. He says, Kirby, you're the only guy I know who's, who gets up early in the morning uh, to start off with being quiet and, and to slow down. But it sets the tone for my day. So I start off with just, you know, outside of just, you know, my glass of lemon water and splashing my face with water and brushing my teeth. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm sitting down for 10 minutes and I use a little app for some mindful meditation just, just to calm my brain and to learn how to process things and not be so scattered. I have some affirmations that I do that just remind me of uh, how God sees me and to be able to frame this up and the things that are most important to me. I have my Bible reading, and I also like to use another little app called Lectio 365, a little devotional that I'll listen to when I walk. I may do some other reading, uh, maybe a couple of pages in an inspirational book that will help me to become better at, at some aspect of my life. There's certainly gonna be prayer uh and exercise i always love to exercise a little bit for me for me i have the time to do it um, i always take about a 30 minute walk every day and during that time that's generally when i pray 
And sometimes we'll listen to that Lectio 365 so I can kind of stack some habits together. And then finally, I like to include a little bit of time for journaling. And the journaling just allows me to review the previous day and, and to learn from it and to maybe be grateful uh, for some of the good things that happened, uh, to process some of the things I'm concerned about, get them down on paper so that they don't just become too big in my mind. And then to kind of set a few things for the day that I'm trusting God for and, uh, and maybe learn from some of the disappointments of the day before, or what will I do different given this chance again? So it's a great chance to learn. That makes up my, my morning routine and it takes a couple of hours, um, but I have learned, even if you just start with 15, you're gonna love it so much. It's gonna make such a big difference in your life that you'll, you'll soon look for more time and you'll probably go to bed earlier so you can get up a little bit earlier. And uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Sure. I love that. And I love that you shared kind of your schedule because I hope people took notes. Uh, that's all something we can do. And everything that we can do is, is something that we can uh, shift and move and make it work for ourselves. But it's something that when you do those big rock things in the morning first, you set your day up for success. And obviously you feel better about your day um, beforehand as well. Speaking of time, I want to get you out of here on time. I have two questions for you. Uh, the final two questions are, is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a paraphrase out of, out of Ephesians chapter five, uh, is do yourself a favor, love your wife. And uh, <laughs> that's some of the best advice I've ever had. <laughs> you know, really, you should probably be interviewing Gail. She's, uh, I think, behind any man who's got anything to be thankful for. Uh, there's probably some great gal behind him. And uh, I don't know what I would have done without her. So, yeah. And I wasn't always as good as what I should have been. And uh, I'm spending the rest of my life making up for it, making her make it even better. So uh, that would be my advice. If you're fortunate to be married, uh, put your time in there because there's not too many people that are calling me pastor anymore, but uh, she's still with me. So yeah. do yourself a favor, love your wife. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, the final question I have for you is this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? You know, building excellence for me is giving my personal best and doing more than, than what's expected. We didn't have a chance to maybe talk about that, about the whole idea of excellence, but um, there's a lot that goes into it. Daniel chapter six, uh, he was raised to the upper echelons of government because the king recognized that he had uh, an extraordinary spirit. Some translations said a spirit of excellence. And I think most of that just comes from uh, doing not only your personal best, but uh, always doing just a little bit more than what's expected. And so that's, that's what really uh, I've tried to do. That's what I've trained my kids to do. Simple things. Show up early, stay late, smile, say yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. Those things will get you promoted faster than anything else because very few people are doing those little things consistently. And uh, that's my idea of building excellence. Yeah, I love that. I think that is such great advice. And I love you know, your definition of building excellence. And, you know, thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, one of the things is you talked about your story. Um, you talked about some of the lessons that you've learned 
but at the at the core main part of everything that you're talking about is your faith in your family. Totally. And so uh, I just think that's a great, great encouragement to so many people out there is where is your time? Where is your focus? If you put those big rocks in, you make sure your faith and your family are most important. Everything else will follow. But, um, you know, if someone wanted to reach out and hear more uh, about some of the content that you have, uh, follow you on social media, what's the best way to do that? Well, I still have my website. I haven't created a lot of new uh, content for a while, but there's a lot of great stuff on there. It's just kirbyanderson.com. And make sure you spell Anderson with an S-E-N. As I said, I'm Danish and proud of it. So <laughs> get there. So that will be some good stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook at Kirby Anderson. And you can find me there. Uh, you can email me at Kirby at KirbyAnderson.com. And uh, yeah, that would, be, I would, that would be great. Bailey, I just want to tell you, I'm just uh, super proud of you for what you're doing. Uh, right now, we talked years ago <laughs> about this big dream of yours. I'm just thinking, doggone it, buddy. Way yeah. to go. You're living it. And uh, you're just a great, a great example of that. So uh, I, you've taken steps. I'm just super proud of you. You've had some amazing guests on here. I'm humbled to be named among them. And uh, so boy, keep up what you're doing. Thank you, Kirby. And thanks so much for doing what you do and making a huge impact on everyone that you encounter. So thanks for being on the show. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.